still trying to get accustomed to this. I need to pull it in a little more. Hang on a second. If, okay, all right. Sometimes when it, it feels right, you know, and I let it go, it's wrong when I let it go. So it feels like it's right and it's wrong. So praise God. All right. So listen, today we're going to talk about chasing donkeys. We're going to talk about chasing donkeys. Okay? It's nothing to do with none of y'all, okay? I mean, personally, ain't nobody throwing hints at nobody. and Nobody's changed anybody's name or identity here. So everybody can breathe a heave of sigh of relief and exhale, etc., etc. Oh, before we do that, um, we do have a couple people to... Well, Ms. Nola, remind me to pray for people after... Because I'll have the altar call and then I can pray. There is someone uh, Bridget just told about also we need to pray for. I was uh, <laughs> encouraging people. You know, there are people that you know personally and their uh, church attendance is kind of sporadic and up and down. And <clears throat> I was uh, speaking to that person. I told him, I said, you know, this is no time to be absent anywhere where God's speaking. You know what I'm saying? Because there is an increase in what we call spiritual wickedness of the enemy just coming out of nowhere and devouring people just because there's so much um, iniquity tolerated by us as a people. And that includes the church too. We tolerate a lot of sinful behavior that we really didn't used to tolerate. And so that gives the enemy license to keep drawing closer and closer and closer and closer to people. And so he attacks them almost out of nowhere. I was speaking to somebody about this and I, I was saying I was having a real struggle as far as uh, walking in divine health is concerned. And I know that, you know, when you're young and vigorous, you don't think about illness as much. But as Christians, you always have to be conscious of the fact that you are fighting illness where it starts, and that's in the thoughts of your mind, you know, in your soul, and how you process information that comes into your body. And so as I was thinking about this, I was uh, talking to the Lord about it, and he says, you better warn the people. He said that, that the enemy is very, very near. You got me? He said, and they are going to have to be diligent and keep me even, even nearer you know, than they usually do. And so there have been <clears throat> incidents of it, you know, just things that will happen that I'll hear about. People will ask me to pray here, pray there, and that kind of thing. And I noticed, too, I was uh, just in my house doing, you know, like nothing. And I, all of a sudden, I started to think about uh, symptoms in my body. And I was saying, boy, I've been winting, you know, me with my winting with my knee. You know, it swells and it goes down. It feels good. And then it's back swollen again. And I made a commitment to the Lord. I'm going to stand and get it healed and quit dealing with this thing. And then all of a sudden, thoughts started to overtake my mind that, oh, you know, there's something else wrong with you. And then the enemy will start to give you symptoms of this and symptoms of that and all that kind of stuff and tell you this is, and it gets so real, it's almost like you say, you know what, I do need to, I need to take care of this. Whereas before that thought would go through my mind and it wouldn't even stop. I wouldn't even give it any consideration. And it's not so much that I'm weak in my faith or any, don't ever get that condemnation on you on top of trying to fight the devil. Y'all yes, got me? Yes. Don't go there. Yes. 
because that is not what it is. But it's that it is a spirit on the words now that makes them more real than they've ever sounded to people before. You got me? They're very convincing. And so this is why we have to be even more diligent. And the Lord began to show me. He said, if you would take, teach the people, just continue to do the simple routine things that they always do, but put their heart in it. You know, you come to church, you come twice a week, put your heart in it, pay attention, listen to the word, take the word home with you, store the word in your heart, that kind of stuff. That's what he means. It's not like you had to just oh, get scared and go do something outrageous now and go buy some, you know, bunker or something somewhere and a year's supply to dried up food so you can, you know, it ain't about that. But it's about what you carry on the inside of you. Just, you know, guard it more diligently. Be more protective of the word that God has placed inside of you. And that word will be there in a greater fashion to fight these things and fend these things off. Does that make sense to y'all? And so it's, it's a good thing to be prepared in a real sense, in a spiritual sense, for these things. But that's why we've got extra prayer requests here because I see manifestations of these things right now you know kind of like on an everyday basis but we're going to continue to fight them but you got to protect you so God will have somebody here to fight for him amen and for people who have needs so praise God amen so that's that so anyway we're going to talk about chasing donkeys turn to first Samuel chapter 9 and we're going to start in verse 1 so I'll give you a little hint as to what this phrase means. There was a gentleman, I picked up one of his books, and he uh, gave the example um, of his life, and he was saying how he had gone through a period of time where uh, he was kind of bored and kind of uh, not real interested in what was going on. He thought he was expecting God to do this or expecting God to do that, and, and God brought him to this book in 1 Samuel verse 9, chapter 9, I'm sorry. And it's the story of Saul. Saul was given an assignment by his father to go and retrieve some donkeys that had gotten loose. And so chasing donkeys really represents the routine everyday chores that we have to do as believers. Just your everyday lifestyle, whatever it is. Whatever God has set you to do on a regular basis. With some of you, it's, it's uh, well, parents, you know, when your kids are, are small, it's getting them to school every day. You know, that routine, coming home from work, uh, getting everything prepared for the next day over and over and over again. For 18, 20 years, you can't believe you survived it, <clears throat> but you did. Or some of you are in the middle of it. Some of you are looking forward to it. But it represents the things that you do as a routine that are your responsibility. And so sometimes these routines can, can cause us to want to kind of flip out a little bit. You know, you want to break that routine. It gets to be a little uh, tedium, boredom. People who are, are uh, God's people, there's always somebody that thinks they ought to be a minister already. You know, and they're always tired of waiting for God to open a door. When is it going to be my turn and all this kind of stuff. Young people who are transitioning out of finishing high school and starting college or starting college are always wanting to know when am I going to get married or find the one or something like that. And so there's this restlessness 
that can abide in people even when you have a good routine, a nice routine, a God-given routine that he expects you to keep. And really that brings you a level of joy. It brings you a level of joy and purpose and contentment. But it still can get to be like running on a treadmill sometimes for people if they stop and think about it. It's almost void of excitement and expression. Chasing donkeys is. Everybody has this <clears throat> period in their lives. Most people have it consistently throughout their lives. There's a routine that you have. It's a go-to-work routine. It's get up. It's a study. It's a pray. It's uh, do all of the things that you know are necessary to do to maintain life. And especially if you belong to God, maintain life in the kingdom. This type of activity can get to be almost robotic and you'll want to quit on it. Sometimes it gets to be so routine and so void of any kind of excitement or interest, it's easy for the enemy to tell you to let go of it and quit because it's not important. You ever see people that <clears throat> can go along doing things well? I've, I've, you know, observe it, observe it in my own life, and I observe it in other people because I've been doing this for, for over 20 years, 25 years now. But I'll notice that people will be very excited about, say, for instance, our monthly meetings. They'll be excited about it because the last church they went to, they didn't take us anywhere. And they didn't let us do anything. And the people that went out with the pastors were always the ministers and they left us back So really, the people are interested because there's some excitement there for them. There's a change in routine. They feel like they are being elevated to a status that has been denied them. They feel that they are being included in something where they were excluded before. So there's a little bit of dirty stuff, too. You know, with everything that we do, that we desire, there's something that is of the Spirit of God that's spiritual, that's, that's beneficial, uh, because it does give us an increased understanding of God's purpose in our life and God wanting to use us and include us. And God loves us. He thinks about me. He cares about me. He's going to let me get involved more. He trusts me to work for him. He's preparing me to do more for him. But then as you get down the road, and it gets to be, you got to get up again. You got to get up early. You got to get on the bus. You got to do this. You got to do that. And if problems arise in the doing of these things, it's easy to start to gripe about it and say, I think I don't need to be doing this. I need to be doing something else because I'll go over here to this other church where they respect me and they love me and they want me to come in because I got skills and I got, the, you understand what I'm saying? It's called whoredom. <laughs> Write that down, everybody. Chasing donkeys keeps you away from whoredom. Seat over. Yeah. Chasing donkeys keeps you out of whoredom. So then, when you're chasing donkeys, words like discipline, dependability, huh? faithfulness, all those godly type words start to be spoken about you. Huh? So you see where I'm going with this. This is a normal, necessary routine to keep us faithful, not whorish, 
not looking after what just tickles our flesh all the time. We want to go here because they think I'm prominent and I'm wonderful. They want, to, they want me here because they think I'm this and I'm that. I remember when we were, uh, we were not really just first starting, but we had been in the ministry maybe like, I guess maybe five or eight years or something like that. And I had Nola to call another church in the city uh, that was a little behind us in getting started. And they were so impressed with her. They wanted, they said, well, what are you doing over here to church? Trying to get her over there with them because she had already chased her donkeys over here and gotten to the point where she knew her job and she knew what she was doing. And that came across to them when they were speaking with her. So it's not that somebody else is not going to recognize your value. See, you can be doing your normal routine, and it's a normal routine to you, and you think it's boring and it's lifeless and all that, and then all of a sudden somebody else will recognize that, but they'll want to, instead of letting you continue to develop, they want to pull you away prematurely. What would, what would you be doing now if you had gone over there, Nola? Uh-huh, because most of the people we know that are, were over there never got used by God, disappointed, upset because they sat on a pew and nobody recognized them still. You know, they were lured over because they had a gift that was developed, but then when they got over there, so some people are sat around to derail you from what God wants you to do. See, God wants us to grow up and be faithful. He wants us to grow up and be dependable. He wants us to grow up in all things and be the kind of people who he can groom for things that are coming down the road for us. Things that God has promised that we don't even know are available to us. There's no way you can see all the things that God wants to do for you. There's no way. Nelson Mandela recently passed away last week, every or week before. Everybody knows about that. But he was 27 years hidden away with a vision on the inside of him of being the president of his nation. He said that he knew from the 1950s that that was what he would eventually wind up doing. But instead of him being running around telling everybody and doing it in the flesh because he had power. He had influence. He could easily have overthrown that government and taken what he was supposed to have by force, but that was not the way God wanted it. And if God has to lock you up in jail like he did Joseph so that you don't squander that gift in the flesh and that gift doesn't misfire and it doesn't destroy people instead of help people. You got me? God does what he needs to do to get us ready for the next step. He does what he needs to do. He cannot be rushed. He cannot be talked out of it. You can't prophesy God out of doing what he wants to do for you. See, we'll have a, a feeling that we're supposed to be doing something else and then we want to hit the road and collect prophecies that support that. Instead of staying still, that's when you know he's God. Yes. Isn't that what the Bible says? Yes. It says, be still. That's how you know he's God. If you're not lifting a hand to do anything, if you're not trying to manipulate anything, that's how you know it's God because he moves all, he got all by himself. Just like the old folks. He don't need nobody's help to do anything. He don't need your help to do anything.
He doesn't need you pep talking him to tell him you uh, him that you're ready for anything. He knows when you're done. All you have to do, <clears throat> you know, I, I know they have these uh, thermometers that you can put in a turkey and they're supposed to pop out what, you know, the turkey's the right internal temperature. But if that thing pops out in the joints, my mother showed me how to tell if they're done. You work the joints. And if the joints are stiff, you leave that bird in there because he ain't done. I don't care what your little pop-out says to you. And we got popping out all over the place. Think we're supposed to be doing this, that, and the other for God. But somebody whack your joint and it's too stiff, then you got to stay in there. You chase donkeys some more. Huh? Just keep on going on chasing your donkeys because you're not ready yet. And so God has this method that he uses for his people. So if you continue to do your routine for God, do it in the right spirit, do it without grumbling, do it without complaining. When you get that done, look for some more to do for God. Don't ever exhaust yourself in working for God. Because if you exhaust yourself, you won't be able to step into your reward. Write that down, because you all seem to be mystified or turn Presbyterian on me or something. I don't know where y'all stayed last night, but I, I know I got everybody right back to their cars last night like y'all suppose y'all supposed to go home and go to bed. So hopefully you did that, and you, you got your, your sleep and you're in your right minds. So anyway, <clears throat> we said that this type of, of, of activity seems almost robotic. You can do it with your eyes closed. If you can do it with your eyes closed, then you're just about at the point where God can say you're dependable. See? Next, you want to be faithful. Huh? You want to be faithful and trustworthy. That's when, see, when you can do things over and over again without the excitement, without the flash and dash, without the thrill, without the people noticing you and always patting you on the back and so forth and so on. When you can do your job without that, then God will judge you faithful and give you that crown of faithfulness. That's a biggie in the kingdom because faithfulness has its own reward. It brings its own reward with it. What does Jesus say? Well done, my good, and enter in. See, there's a reward in entering in now. Where you go in, it says, enter into the joy of the Lord. Which means now you can do your, joy, your job with joy. You don't have to grumble. You don't have to complain. There's a reward of joy that comes with it that nobody can talk you out of. See, people will want to come and tell you, well, you know, that's too hard, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that. But joy will have you bite their head off like a royal, and you'll just laugh at them, and they look at you like you're crazy. I don't have a grumble in me. Huh? Well, some people get it. I don't care if you get it or not, it's true. You got me? It's true anyway. Because a grumble will come out of you because joy will take its place. See, joy is the fruit of the overcomer, folks. It's the fruit of the overcomer. You overcome because you put up with crap that people wouldn't want to put up with. You do your job no matter who's looking. You do it as unto the Lord because God's your reward. 
You do it faithfully. You don't want to cut corners and you don't want to be shabby with it because God's your reward. You do it unto the Lord. You, you know God's watching you and he's the one that signs your paycheck. He writes what you do down. He, he, he pays you for it. He opens doors to you that only faithful people get open to them. I remember my, my husband telling me, late husband telling me years ago, uh, he, said, he said, you know, there's a lot of young men that, that come into this he was a human resource, but he was, really was a superintendent for a long time. He worked in the factory operations. Uh, I don't know what he did, but you know what I'm saying. They produced product. <laughs> that's all I knew. That's all I needed to know. And when is the paycheck coming? That's two things, female trick number. That's a 101, as you know, entry level. But anyway, um, but this was, was something that he did in production. And so this was a way to get ahead there because it was a manufacturing plant. You had to be involved in making stuff in order to get ahead or they didn't pretty much need you. Pencil pushers were human resource people, which when it worked kind of slow, when he wanted to slow down, he stepped over into that area. And he told me this. He said, there are a lot of young men that I see that have good, they're good workers, basically good workers. He said, but you can't make them be dependable. That's what he told me. He said, if they would just be dependable, in other words, come to work on time, don't joke around while they're there and slop around and go visit everybody and mess around. He said, if I could get them to be dependable, he said, they could go tons of places because at that time in, with government contracts, you had, a certain, had to have a certain amount of minorities on the contract so that you could get that contract, et cetera, et cetera. They could barely make it because he said he could find very few that were dependable. And this was a quality he knew you couldn't force into somebody. It was either there or it wasn't. If the seeds were there, he would encourage the seeds. But many times he got disappointed. He said, oh, I tried to help that guy and, you know, blah this and blah that. It's the, it's the stuff that chasing donkeys brings into your life, in other words. He didn't chase enough donkeys when he was at home. Huh? He either didn't take out the garbage faithfully. He either didn't clean up his room faithfully. It's something, something he fell down on because he was looking for something more exciting in life. See, this, this, this thing will either make you or break you as far as your preparation in God and your place in the kingdom is concerned. This is a very, very, the great ones always make it through with flying colors. Because they learn early, as long as God's telling me to do it, I don't care what I have to do. You got me? I don't care what I have to do, as long as he's telling me to do it. You got me? And so these are the things that make you. So you have these qualities now starting to be spoken about you. Trustworthiness, stable, dependable. But a person sometimes will doubt their significance while chasing donkeys because the other word, humble, comes up too. You've got to be a humble person and you've got to see that as a good quality. It's got to be an asset, not a takeaway. You got me? It's got to be something that you seek to have said about you. You've got to. Those things are important to God. All of the qualities that are important to God, you've got to see that those are important to have spoken about you. And they have to be developed in you on a consistent basis. And when this happens with people in the world, you see things like adultery start cropping up in a marriage or something. Or divorce will happen because they get tired of the routine. 
the word good provider for a man or good mother for a woman, a faithful mother, woman of virtue, etc., etc. That's why it's good to be in the church if you're going to, to want good things said about you. Because in the church, those qualities are applauded and recognized. See, we appreciate good mothers. We appreciate dependable fathers. We appreciate all of those attributes in people. But in the world, they're laughed at. So you go out in the world and they say, well, you, you don't go nowhere. Your kids is out the house now. How come you don't go out nowhere? You understand what I'm saying? Well, your husband can stay at home, but you can go out if you want to. That, that's what's applauded out there. And so these qualities that chasing the donkeys bring out of your life, there's no other way to get it except this way. You can't make it happen any other way. You can't judge yourself faithful and go promote yourself. You got to stay with it until God says you're ready to be promoted and go to the place that he has assigned for you. So you need to understand that while you're chasing your donkeys, God is there all the time. And he has, has a purpose and a time for you. Your, your plan includes greatness because of the great God. Anytime you work for God, there's greatness there. Preaching the gospel is a great thing. You save people from eternal damnation when you preach the gospel, if you win a soul. Operating in the wisdom of God is a good thing. You save people when you operate in the wisdom of God. So it's a good thing all the time to do these things because God is there with you and he's your source and he will always be there for you. And so we have to understand that God wants us to stay with it so that he can prosper and encourage us. So we're going to get to our scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And we start off and we're talking about Saul. Saul, we know, was the first king of Israel. It was not David. David came after Saul. But Saul, the, the time of, of this period of time comes right after the time of the judges. And the time of the judges was said to be a time when people in the nation of Israel, everybody did what they wanted to do. They didn't want God over them. They didn't want the priesthood in force. They didn't want to listen to the prophets. They didn't want to listen. They just wanted to do what they wanted to do. So God would send judges out to sit in different areas. And these judges were also prophets. And they could prophesy and hear from God. So a judge was a person. They kind of wanted to. It's like, it's like martial law as far as God's concerned. It's kind of like the least way that God wants to govern his people, but he's got to have somebody there anyway. It's like having a sheriff in Tombstone, you know, in one of these areas where you just go out into the wild and you got to stop this order as much as you can because you're the law in, the, in that place. And so the judges were there and they would hear disputes between God's people. They would also uh, have worship where they would set up, if they would, would connect with a priest, they would set up a, a kind of a makeshift uh, kind of a worship situation where they could hear from God, but it was not God's intention for them. But it was a way for him to keep contact with his people as the best he could do at the time. You know, some of the judges, Gideon was one, Samson was one. If you don't think the people were hard up, if God used Samson, they had to be a roughneck people. You got me? And so <laughs> this is a period of time. And they're coming out of that time because it's time for them to come out. And so God now wants to raise up a prophet 
who can set things in order for him. And that happens to be the prophet Samuel. You know the story about Samuel. Uh, he was born to a mother who was barren, and she was made fun of by one of the other wives of her husband. He loved the woman, but God had shut up her womb. See, God shut it up. God did that himself. God decides who can and who cannot have children. Children belong to God anyway. It, it don't belong to people. It's, this is just nonsense, you know. You hear women say, it's my body, I do what I want to do. You did what you wanted to do. That's how you got pregnant. Now you don't want that. You understand what I'm saying? You don't know what you want to do. And so God comes in and he has to bring order. He has to bring his order and his plan back into uh, existence so that the people can go on. God has a plan, folks. He doesn't care how crazy people get. He doesn't care how backwards and backslidden people get. He has a plan for people and he has a plan to restore and retrieve people. He has a plan to put his kingdom back into the earth. He has a plan to bring the Messiah in. He still has a plan and he doesn't care how nutty people get. He's going to raise somebody up who's going to listen to him to go through with his plan. And so it says there was a man of Benjamin, verse 1, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherah, the son of, well, he's a Benjamite. That's what they say, and all that to say that. A mighty man of power. Now I'm reading from the Amplified. You all have a different one, I'm sure. Just read what you choose. I'm reading the Amplified because it's a little more plain and there's a lot to read. He says, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. Now, can you imagine? He's the best looking man in the whole place. Then comes David later, short. They say he was small and ruddy, red face, very young, looking immature. So here's Saul way up here. <laughs> David way down here, just a kid. And guess who, <laughs> guess who takes over? Can't judge by appearance. Some of y'all heard me, but some of y'all heard me and don't want to say you heard me. You can't judge by appearance. Everybody wants what's fine as wine in the summertime. Huh? Brick house. Huh? Stacked up like, right. You got it. Don't judge by appearances. God never does. See? That brother stay in the gym all the time, kissing his biceps. Huh? And come home evil as a rattlesnake. You don't want that. And biceps kissers are always the worst. Amen. I'm not going to say why. Y'all want me to say it, but I ain't going to say it. <laughs> we shall move on. So Saul is what we call the people's choice. People like what looks nice. Mm -hmm. You put, I don't care how, how loyal you are to a political party, you got a lot, now most people are independent. Their number of people call themselves independents are increasing in record numbers. You know why? They want to vo vote for whoever moves them. They don't want to be loyal to a party or a platform or a position. They want, they want to be moved by appearance. You put an older man against somebody who's younger, guess who's going to win most times? People were shocked when Ronald Reagan 
became president because of his age and they would make fun of him and you know all the different things you know they would talk about all his old movies what do his movies have to do with his credentials as a president but you know he was laughed at but he was also very popular because of his position and because of his words he was able to persuade people with his words and so you have all of these things when you talk about people wanting to have somebody govern them. They want somebody that's appealing to them for whatever reasons. And so here we see Saul, he's the most nicest looking guy there. Says from his shoulders upwards he was taller than any of the people. So he was a kind of a standout kind of guy. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise and go arise from where? Mm -hmm. See, whenever your parents, pastor, whoever is in spiritual authority over you tells you to do something, it's an elevation already. Isn't that what it says here? He said to him, arise. In other words, get up off your lazy whatever. Get up out the bed. Put the remote down. Whatever you're doing, get up and go do something valuable. Huh? Quit wasting time. Go do something valuable. So whenever you're put to work by somebody that God has in authority over you, it's a promotion already in that you have been asked to do something. You got me? That's where the real promotion is. Even though we may look at it as routine, we may look at it as, oh, well, here they come. To you. you know, then people work you to death over there. You know, when you first get started, everybody likes it because nobody's ever paid attention to them before and asked them to do anything. The Bible says, when the righteous slap me, it's a kindness. You know, you really think that it's a routine thing for people who know God and love God and serve God to want to get involved with people? Are you kidding me? I could just as easily retire. I'm that age. You got me? Do you understand me? See, we got to break this self-important thing that people, you know, you can get rid of it for a season, then it creeps back up on you again. Somebody starts buzzing in your ear telling you, well, well, look at what, you know, they don't do as much as you do, and you do more than so-and-so, and, you know, you've been up on your feet all day. I'm up on my feet all day every day. I'd be rather be doing that than to be laying down with any devil anywhere. You got me? I'd rather rise up and be on my feet for God any day than to be laying around with a pack of devils. So, here's a promotion. Pay attention to words like that when you see them in the Bible. When you see words like rise up, arise, that means God's elevating him. So what's Saul's job to, that's elevating, chasing donkeys? Hmm? This is his elevation. He says, take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the lands of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim. They were not there. Passed through the land of the Benjamites, couldn't find them. So Saul's going on somewhat of what he thinks is a wild goose chase, looking for these donkeys. Saul's dad 
probably would rather have him doing anything than what he's been doing all day long, sitting around gathering dust, doing nothing. Huh? You know, parents, come on now. Everybody's got kids like that in their family. You know, some of them just love mom and dad and want to get up and do it and never complain. You wonder where that kid came from. Could I get some more just like him? Then you got some, you got to take the bed out from under them. You got to remove the mattress, go hide it somewhere. You got to take all the, unplug all the televisions and stuff like that to get them to go do something. And so we have to understand that, that Saul's father knows his boy. And he's putting him to work because he senses that this is the right job for him to do right now. When God gives you something to do for him, it's because that's the right job for you right now. I don't care what it is. I don't care how much you don't like it. I don't care how much you're tired of it. I don't care how much it seems to be routine to you because, you know, you're tired of putting the stuff out on the table because people don't buy anything. You know, the devil will get you with that kind of stuff. Just continue to put it out. Chase your donkeys. You got me? Chase your donkeys. Chase your donkeys. You got me? And let God find you being faithful. Don't let him find you being grumbling and complaining and wanting to go off somewhere where people tell you you're wonderful. Huh? And then treat you like you're not. Saul don't want to find them donkeys. He's probably wondering, well, what am I going to do with them when I find them? Huh? You know how stubborn that animal is? And then he's nice looking too? Huh? He don't want to do all of that. It's like the the commercial with the uh, bodybuilder directing traffic. That's it. (laughs) That kind of stuff. That's what Saul likes doing all day long, just looking at himself and getting groomed. And so he doesn't want to find these stubborn donkeys. And this is what we're talking about and chasing our donkeys, getting the stubbornness out of us. The part of us that doesn't like the routine. The part of us that thinks we're called to something great. The part of us that wants to wish God would leave us alone so we could go back to our simple little routine that we had before we met him. Huh? All that. That's what it's about. Donkeys are elusive. Chasing them are elusive. You never quite grab the end of it. It's like I'll always have at the end of every meeting that we have, there's always something I can look at and I say, you know, the next time we're going to do this this way because it can be better. You got me? I say it within myself. I don't complain to people and go beat people up because it's wrong. You know what I'm saying? I've learned. I've learned to say within myself. Because there's a sense in me that God has perfection in mind. That God has some, and I, it's not up to me to settle for just, just barely getting it done. Or it's okay, or it's not as bad as, as you think, or something like that. That's not my job. To diminish the perfection that God's put in my heart that he wants to bring out of people. If I don't do it in my lifetime, I can pass it on to somebody else who's still here and maybe they can get the job done and do it with perfection. You understand what I'm saying? But there's perfection in God that he wants to accomplish down here on earth. Whenever we have, whenever we have food, and, and I know people look at it sometimes and they think, well, that's a waste. I look at abundance. I don't look at it as a waste. 
because there's something that God wants me to represent. See, when you represent, you got to be careful, folks. When Can I just talk to y'all? When you represent God, you have to be careful not to bring your ghetto, your barely, your homegrown, your excuses, your nonsense, and your shenanigans into the program. You got to let that go. And you got to pick up the mantle of Christ. Jesus, Jesus preached for three days and people followed him for so long he didn't realize how long they'd been out there. But he didn't send them hungry. He fed them before they left. He does a complete job. You don't do stuff like that. And when you do that, you do it with abundance so people aren't looking at, well, is it going to be enough? Well, don't give me none and just give it to her. And uh-uh, We don't play that in the kingdom. That ain't God's way. You understand me? We don't go there. I spent enough of years like that when I was a kid, and I'm not reliving them again because there was nothing good about it. You understand me? There's nothing good about poverty. There's nothing good about lack. There's nothing good because God doesn't want that for any of his people. And if you're going to represent God, you at least got to do that much. So we have abundance. We've always had abundance. I refuse to do things if we don't have abundance. And if we have problems, I beat the devil out of them until we get them solved. Do you understand me? I don't walk away from things and say we can't do that. Shouldn't be in you to settle for shrug your shoulders and it, mm. you left that when you came into the kingdom it's too much in God there's too much he can do for us too much he can impart to us for us to settle for less so chasing your donkeys when you find them what you gonna do with them <laughs> so we see this part of, part of us wants to do a good job and then part of us sees enormous challenge. You got me? You can work the challenge out of things by accepting and settling into a routine that God can help you with that makes it manageable. You got me? He can make things in your life manageable so that you can accomplish, you can be successful, you can have time for everything, even while you're doing these routine tedious things like chasing donkeys you got me you can do it because he wants you to do it and he wants you to develop an attitude a different spirit about you he wants you to have a joyful spirit in serving him he wants you to have a faithful see joyful people can overcome anything that comes against them people who are already depressed they'll quit on you in a minute you got me you notice there are some people, and I'm going to be honest with you, there are some people when they have that look, I go the other way. If I can't challenge them and get them out of that mindset, then I just go leave them alone. I don't want people like that around me when I have to do something for God. You understand me? I don't put up with it. I don't put up with it. I don't have to. I have to be nice to everybody. I had to come here and preach the word. Have people with wrong spirit putting these stupid words inside of you. Words of defeat and anger and self-pity and all that nonsense. I don't carry that stuff. And it's not right for me to come here and put it over on you either. You got me? So we don't get involved with it. So in chasing your donkeys, you have to work a lot of that stuff out. God's working stuff out of us, folks. Now see, let me tell you the difference between what we do and what the preachers of L.A. 
they don't chase donkeys. They've never seen. They, they, were the, they laid on the couch when daddy said, go get up and find it. They stayed on that couch. Huh? They never chased nothing and got a routine and a discipline and, and a dignity and God in them. So they always come up short. They, they got to flaunt their wealthy possessions because they're so insecure they don't feel like anything without it. So there's a difference between having abundance and being uh, uh, wasteful. The prodigal was wasteful. That's what the word prodigal means. He went and squandered what his father had accumulated because he didn't value it because he never obeyed his father enough to get any kind of integrity on the inside of him. And as soon as dad started to put the clamps down, he bolted till he came to himself. See, parents always have a prayer for them to come to themselves. You got me? Don't let you just go, let them go out and do anything and stay out there. Always see them coming back. Get a vision of them coming back and coming to themselves. See, he saw all that money he wasted. And then when times got hard, the friends got scarce. You know? There's a song about that, even. Friends don't come around no more, you know? God bless the child has got his own or something. But it talks about how when you have money, everybody wants to be around you. When they see the, the gift, they want to pull on you. When they see the value, they want to drag you around. But then you go off and follow them and see you stop chasing your donkeys where your daddy told you to be and see what happens. See, When you run out, because you will. Because your, your spirit's not developed yet. Because your heart is not in it 100% the way it needs to be. You got me? I always look at young people who are married. Ah, baby, I love you. I say, honey, just wait till 20 years. You're going to know what love is. Huh? Definitely. Because you're more dug in then. You've had more experiences with more. If, you, if you're going to accumulate anything. Now, if you're just going to be there and just say, baby, I love you. You, love, nah, nah, you know, that's something different. But if you're going to go somewhere in God and you're going to prosper. And you're going to invest in each other's dreams and each other's gifts and abilities. Oh, yeah, you, it's going to stretch you. You understand what I'm saying? So check me in another 10 years and see if it's the baby I love you. To, you understand what I'm saying? But see, God deepens our love through commitment. And challenging us to stay committed when things are difficult. When it's hard to stay committed, you're committed. When it's routine every day, you're still committed. When it's hard, you're committed. When you have problems raising children and agreeing how to raise them, what school to send them to, all this, how much money to spend, and you're still committed. Do you understand me? People walk when they have to face problems and have to deal with a routine. You be doing well. Sometimes women get upset. You're doing well, and you come home, and the husband wants to, you know, start his own business or something. You got me? Well, I thought we was doing okay the way we are, baby. But no, but baby, we can do a whole lot better if we just, you know, you, you understand what I'm saying? Uh, now your donkey chasing has stopped. You got a challenge here. Can you stay faithful? Can you stay committed? Can you stay supportive? Can you stay in there even though it's shaky for you?
even though your security isn't the way it used to be. And so this is what Saul's challenge is. He has to make sure that he stays faithful. If he doesn't stay faithful, he will not get what God intends for him to have. A whole nation of people will suffer because of one person's unfaithfulness. You got me? Look at South Africa. Suppose Nelson Mandela had found a way to get out of prison before the 27 years and got back with his ANC, African National Congress people. Because they were out there killing people and doing terrorist things, all kinds of stuff. His wife was involved in it. That's why they parted ways after he got out of there. She was very committed to that way of doing things. But God had to pull him and rein him in so that he could affect the change that he wanted to see happen. There are people who think, well, you know, the whites came and took it from the black man. They had it too good after they got to keep their stuff. But if that was God's way of making peace there with everybody, then we have to accept God's way. You understand me? You can't just go and get restitution and retribution, get even with everybody that's done something wrong. At some point, that stuff has to stop. And you've got to understand that God wants everybody to survive and do well, and above all, he's a peacemaker. You got me? And we can't have all of this getting even, uh, evening the score forever. You got me? And so he, he, God is involved in those things. And so it took him 27 years to get Man, Mandela chasing his donkeys right there in that jail cell to get him ready for what he wanted him to do. So, in verse 5, we see, let's see, did we talk about, yeah, we talked about the donkeys. Yeah. So this is not an easy assignment. Chasing donkeys is not an easy assignment. It's something that will tug at the stubbornness in us. Yeah. It will tug at the selfishness in us. Yeah. So, but Saul did have one thing going for him. He stayed under authority. He obeyed his father. And that was the one thing that kept him going from one place to the next to the next. Now this is the, where it gets tiresome for people. Verse 5. Chasing donkeys gets tiresome for everybody. So when, when God puts you on an assignment and it gets rough and it gets tedious and you know, people start you know, dropping hints. Do you really want to do that? You got to do something else with your Saturdays. You, know, you need to do this. You need to do that. All that kind of stuff. And so Saul comes to a point, and it says here, when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to a servant who was with him, come, let us return. And this is why he wants to quit, see. He wants to quit, but he's got to give a good excuse for it. Y'all know people like that? Yes. We can't do this no more, and this is why. You got me? So it, this, is, this is why God puts us on these assignments. It's to kill the quit in yes, you. Yes. It's to kill the quit in you. Because if you quit on an assignment you dislike, you'll quit on one you like. And God knows it. A quitter's a quitter. I don't care what you're involved in. I say it again. A quitter is a quitter. I don't care what you're involved in. They'll always come with a good excuse for doing the wrong thing. Didn't Saul's daddy tell him to go look for them donkeys? And didn't Saul's daddy tell him to bring them donkeys back? And didn't he send somebody with him just so he would be sure to carry out the assignment? See, the servant isn't just somebody to be bossing around all the time. 
a servant oftentimes can save you from trouble because they got a brain and they can think. And they know what your daddy is expecting. So Saul makes up this lie. My daddy is, you know what, I would like to go. Now I'm with you on go. I'm I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm going to go get him. But I know my daddy is worried about me. If your daddy was worried, he wouldn't have sent you to begin with. You got me? What's daddy going to do? Going to be upset because you took another day to go find the donkeys? What's the problem, Saul? And he says, when they came to that place, he said to a servant who was with him, come let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. Saul's a master politician, too. He's a diplomat. His father's rich. He's nice looking. He knows how to con people. Huh? We all know some of them. They're good at words. They're good at convincing you that it's the best. The best thing for you to, to do would be to part with that $100 you got there and let me take it. And You understand what I'm saying? You know, it's, the world is full of people like that. They talk widows out of their pension savings. They talk people out of their uh, paychecks, all kinds of things. Because they play to their sense of quit, their, pl- their sense of want to give up. You got me? And so Saul does that. He tells them he reasons with this servant. Of course, the servant is subject to his father. And the, he thinks maybe he can get that servant nervous and say, well, then the father will blame me because I kept him out here all this time. You got me? But the servant's wise. You got me? Servant has a good comeback. And the servant says to him, now look, in verse 6, there is in this city a man of God, and he's an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So instead of quitting Saul, let's talk to God and find out where the donkeys really are. Because we've been walking around here for days now, we haven't found them. We need some revelation, we need some understanding, we need something so we can accomplish and get the job done. But I'm telling you right now, we ain't quitting. You got me? You do everything but quit. When God gives you an assignment, he expects you to get it done. He does not accept quit at all. When you get to the place where you feel like you want to quit, where something else looks more attractive or something like that, you go to God or go to the man of God, go to your pastor, go to somebody who knows how to pray and hear from God and find out what your next step is, but your next step is never quit. Religious people always have a fancy where, well, God released me. He don't release either. That's right. That's right. Huh? Like he don't know what he wants you to do all of a sudden. Did he tell you to go find them donkeys? If he tell you to go find them donkeys, then they must be able to be found. All you need to do is get some information toward accomplishing and forget about quitting because there's no quitting God. See, this will help you when it comes to somebody trying to take your house from you or your car from you or something else from you. See, when, it's, when you're heavily invested in it, then you want another prayer. You want another, you want another something. But see, when it comes to disciplining you so that, that faith will come from out of you instead of you've got to borrow it from somebody, you don't want to do what it takes to get that. The pastor, the prophet, your, your parents, if they got any smarts in God, they've all been here. They've all been to that place where they felt like 
their flesh wanted to quit or the devil people were telling them they should quit or the devil's telling them they should quit it's not worth it you don't need to do that anymore well that's never going to happen for you well you don't know what God's going to do but they shook it off toughed it out got enough, went up to the altar crying went up to the altar upset went wherever they had to go but they got another word from God to keep going you don't go to the altar to get permission to quit you come to the altar to keep going. So the servant doesn't buy it. Tell Saul, uh-uh. Instead of arguing with him, which is wisdom, he brings forth another option. That other option is, should always be a God option. There's always another wisdom to pull in. There's other, always another scripture you can pray. There's always another word from God to encourage you to keep going. People come, you know, they've been standing for a marriage or a reconciliation or something and want to quit. Listen, I was married 30 years. Y'all can't fool me. Married people want to quit every other day if we had our way. But see, we chase our donkeys until God gets to quit out of us. You got me? Or as much as we can let go of at the time. Whatever. You got me? He says, there's a man, there is in this city a man of God. He's an honorable man. See, just when you want to quit, God has an opportunity for you to get encouragement to keep going. It's always there. It's always there for everybody. They just don't look for it. Even if he has to bring somebody to you from outside to encourage you that it's, it's an opportunity for you here to keep going, God will do that. He so wants us to prosper and be blessed. He'll bring that information to us. And so he says, there's a man of God in this city. He said he's an honorable man. Everything he says comes to pass. And Saul says, comes up with another excuse. See, this is how quit operates it don't quit see there's a determination in quit that you got to know about you kill that thing one day and you let yourself go soft some kind of way and then quit pops up again because quits always there quit don't quit trying to make you quit it's on the job all the time he says there's in this city a man of God he's an honorable man all he says surely comes to pass let's go Saul said to him but look if we go if we go if we go if 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 quit always wants you to give it put things on an if basis faith puts you on a determination basis quit puts you on an if basis if we go what shall we bring to him now (laughs) Saul if nothing else take one of them rings off Take them sandals off. Take that robe off. You wear the nicest clothes. And his clothes are bigger than everybody else's so they can get a lot of money. It's worth a whole lot more. Saul said to his servant, if we go there, what shall we bring him for bread? And our vessels is gone. There's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? A servant said, well, it just happens I got a little piece of money up in here. I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I'll give that to the man of God to tell us our way. So they were saying that in in Israel, prophets were called seers, and that's what they wanted. They wanted to be able to see where something was. They were visionaries. They had a prophecy for people. They were able to get a word from God for them. 
And so then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went to the hill of the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, hey, babe. Oh, this is the wrong translation. <laughs> Sup, girl. They said, is the seer here? And they answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now for today he came to this city. See, just when you're about to quit, God has your answer. He put, he, now listen, God brings your answer ahead of your, your, your fatigue and quitting. He makes you take a few more steps to get it. We always want the answer when we're sitting down complaining, wanting to quit. It ain't there. It's a few steps ahead of that place. You got me? You're going to have to walk a little bit further in order to get what God has for you. But he'll show you your answer is only a breath away, two steps away, five minutes away, a next day away, another uh, uh, meeting away, whatever it is. Your answer is a few steps beyond your quit. But it ain't where your quit is. If he put the answer in the atmosphere of your quit, what do you think would happen to the answer? You'd sit there and argue with it. You wouldn't even accept it. You would, you'd be so, well, that couldn't be God. God don't look like that. He don't do that. No, God's going to get you out of the atmosphere of your quit and make you stretch yourself to a place of the unknown where you can't grab onto nothing, you can't wrestle with anything, you can't fight with anybody. He gets you totally stripped of all your little weapons that you use to wrangle out of being responsible. Amen. And the girls tell him the people won't eat till he comes. He's got to bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited to eat will go and eat with him. Go up there for, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city and as they were coming to the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them from the high place. Now one of these things, one of the things you need to know about this is that the women going to draw water is a picture of the church. You see it over and over again. The great ones, that's where they found their wives. Moses was what I would call probably, well, being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was a privileged man. But he also had a hot temper, and he was a murderer. And so God had him meet his future wife, drawing water at the well. In fact, they had developed a relationship with him, and Moses would carry the water for them instead of letting them pull the water themselves and that was a, a kind of a covenant that meant friendship that he offered friendship probably through their father or an older brother and they accepted his friendship and so he was maybe like one close in the family kind of relationship you know and also he could kiss his biceps when he's lifting the bucket of water anyway But that was where they oftentimes would meet young women who were of good quality. They were doing chores for the family. That was always a sign that somebody was of good quality. So these young women drawing water represent the church. 
Church is full of life and revelation. Water representing the Holy Spirit. Representing the water of God, the word of God, the power of God. A church has procedure and protocol for doing things. So the church teaches procedure and protocol. That's what these young girls did. They told him, well, don't be afraid of going to meet the man of God. They told him exactly what to do. He's going up to offer the sacrifice. You can go up. He's, he's just getting here. But, and he will have a meal. And afterwards, if you're invited to stay for the meal, you can feel free to stay. They explained the whole thing to him. So that he wouldn't feel awkward going asking for help. They put him at ease, put him at comfort. That's what the church does. It invites people in while teaching them the ways of God. It lets them know that you're acceptable to God. That you can be here. You have a right to be here. It's just that we do things a certain way. Don't you come to church to learn God's ways? And so this is what is being done here. They're just explaining how to approach the man of God, and he's willing to help them if they approach him right. So the ways that we approach God, these young women explain to him, number one is through worship and sacrifice. Number two is through seeking, asking the man of God what you desire. And number three, you dine at the Father's table. Where there's plenty for you and plenty for everybody else. Verse 15. And this is the thing you got to understand. God has already told somebody about you. God's already told somebody how to treat you. God's already told somebody about your abilities, about your gifts, about everything. At the time where that's being released in your life is when it's supposed to be released and not before. And so Saul had to walk, he had to search, he had to hunt, he had to get tired, he had to want to quit, he had to want to do all of those things before God would set before him what was prepared for him. You don't just rush into the things that God has for you. I don't care if it's ministry, I don't care if it's family, I don't care what it is. If God has prepared it for you, he's got to prepare you for it. You don't go into anything in God without preparation, without discipline, or you'd be just as wild as some of them donkeys are out there that you're chasing. You got me? Run in here and they don't find them. Run there and they don't find them. Run here and they don't find you. God wants to find you where he told you to be. And once he knows you're going to be there, then he brings what you are seeking to you. You don't go looking for it. You got me? When Samuel saw Saul, he said, the Lord said to him, uh, verse 15, I'm sorry. Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came. He said, tomorrow about this time, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin. How did God know he was going to send Saul? Well, God knows some things. There are some things he knows he can get out of people. See, he knows he can move Saul from the place of wanting to quit to go another step farther. You got me? That's what he's doing here. And so he tells Saul, Saul this, <clears throat> I'm sorry, he tells Samuel this. He said, about this time I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel. That he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I've looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. When you work for God... You're an answer to somebody's prayer. 
And the more you work for God, the more people's prayers you will answer. Let me say it again. Because see, what we, we, we get stuck with sometimes as believers is we prayed for somebody 10 years ago to receive Christ and we still talk about it as though it was yesterday. See, the more you do for God, the more people's answers to prayer you are. You got me? You don't want just to be a one-trick pony. I prayed for somebody 10 years ago and they got saved. Or I prayed for them and they almost got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then I had to tell Pastor Shirley to go finish the job for me. We ain't talking about that. I'm talking about being a for sure answer to prayer where God can find you doing what he told you to do. And then when you get to that place of elevation and promotion, everything is set in order for you to step into it. And you don't have to go chasing it. You don't have to go promote yourself on Facebook telling people what you're going to do for God. Let's just see some fruit. You understand what I'm saying? Let's just stay where you're supposed to be so God can find you. God's big enough to find you. You don't have to go running chasing everywhere. I see people, I've seen people over the years uh, get impatient with what God's doing. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to do this anymore. I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be, have my own ministry. I said, well, you know what? If that's what you feel, there's nothing I can do to talk you out of it. I know you can do your ministry from here. I'm not going to stop you doing nothing for God. Are you kidding me? We have what, what I call a school of the prophets. You think in a school somebody, teacher keeps you from doing stuff that pertains to your learning? With all the hell that's out there, you think anybody preacher in their right mind will stop you from going saving souls? Are you kidding me? You see, the devil can get your mind so twisted, you'll think the very people who are feeding you are now starving you and taking away from you. See? It's called betrayal. See, everybody got a seed of that nonsense in them. Chasing your donkeys will kill that thing. Huh? So you don't become a covenant breaker on top of everything else. You got me? And so Samuel said, he said to the Lord, he says, uh, verse 17, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there's the man, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Now, here we go again. Appearances. People who carry the word of the Lord, sometimes they don't look like they have nothing for you. Do you understand me? It means nothing as far as God sends who's available. Who's, he sends the best qualified person for the job. Amen. And sometimes he'll send somebody that ain't dressed like you think they ought to be dressed. Or don't look quite like they need to look. Yes. You know, I prayed for a lady in my house. Prayed for her. Her dog got a miracle. Yes. And when I went to the door, I thought to myself, Lord, she's out there crying. I said, I'm going to have to spend some time. I was just peeking out the door to see who might be out there. Because in the morning when I'm, well, afternoon, whatever. But if I don't feel like I have to dress for nobody, I don't dress. You understand? I'm just one of them kind of people. And I look like I don't want to look for people. And the first thing that came to me, she came up to me and she just threw herself, you know. Oh, God, can you pray for me? And she's like this, and I'm saying, God, I'm stink. 
Now, does that seem like you want to receive a word from somebody like that? A stanking prophet on top of it. But we prayed the prayer. See, it's a nice thing when God can prepare you for what's coming, like he did with Samuel. But there are many times he don't have to that in him to prepare you for nothing. You just got to yield right away and get the job done. You understand me? So we had our stinky prayer. Her dog got his miracle. She was blessed. She left happy. You got me? It's about getting the job done. Being where God wants you to be. See? Just being around the house until he tells you to do something. I know a lot of women that were ministers that wouldn't do it. They're always on the road doing one thing or another. They got, you know, boyfriend here, a ministry there, this there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Verse 19, Saul said, I am that seer. Go up before me into the high place for you will eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and tell you all that's in your heart. All that's in your heart. All that's in your heart. At some point, what's really in there needs to be brought out so you can hear it. That's what prophecy is. Many times people will say, well, it was just a confirmation. Let me tell you what God really is doing. There are many times in your life as a believer, when, when God calls you, Whatever you need is already in there. But let me tell you how it's in there. It's in there in seed form. Some of it's real small. And it'll come to you as a thought. I think I should be doing... I don't know what it is, but I... Or it's in there in a a flash of revelation. Just one day, you see yourself doing something. You say... So what you have inside of you in your heart are fragments, pieces. That as you have yielded to God and as you have done certain things where God wants to put that in you, that's been put in you, but it's a big puzzle. Until the word of the Lord is released and it pulls it all together for you. That's when you understand it. You got me? So don't ever play it down like just a confirmation. It's never just a confirmation. God doesn't just do anything. When he does it and pulls it together for you, it's big. Because it makes sense then, it fits then, you get their first step toward it is there. All of that stuff is there for you. And so that's why he needs to reveal to you what's in your heart. If it's not in you, you're not called to do it. You got me? If it's not in you, you're not called to do it. If it's not in your heart, if if it's not in your spirit, you're not called to do it. Many people are called in their heads where they've stolen a fragment of something for somebody and stolen a fragment of something from somebody, stolen a fragment of something from somebody. And see, people will fool you. You'll have greatness right in the front of you, as much greatness as you can handle at that point in your life and you won't value it. You won't value it. (laughs) Brother Stone, I could go down to his studio, and he had a dog. The dog smelled. 
you know, I mean, no offense to anybody, but you know how some dogs are. Some dogs just carry an odor. He had his boys, a little play area for them and all this kind of stuff. But his studio was, when the sound came out, it was perfect. And I would have, he would tell me, he said, well, I was trying to do some sound for so-and-so and so-and-so. And and they gave me such a hard time about (laughs) And I could go and sit in there and just songs would come. That wonderful night, I sat there and that thing just poured out of me. It was an inspired atmosphere. But see, if you don't go down there looking for something from God, you go down there looking for somebody to look like something, talk like something, to be somebody, you'll miss the whole connection totally. A whole connection. There are many people that have been around him that didn't get what God had for them because they missed it because they were looking for something else. Happens all the time. So here he says, Samuel answered Saul and said, I'm the uh, seer. Go up before me to the high place. You'll eat with me today. So forth. He said, but as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't be anxious about them. They've been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? In other words, he's telling him greatness is on your house. Greatness is on your family. Greatness is on your life. Saul answered, typical answer of somebody who's really called and feels small. He says, I'm the least of the people. I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not. See, unless a great call can be met with an I'm not worthy, if it's met with a, you know, I can handle this, you're wrong. You're totally 100% wrong. The ones who are really called never meet it like that. Because when the weight of the heaviness of the call of God really comes to your heart, you never feel like you can handle it. You never feel like you can handle it. Never. Samuel took Saul and his servant, brought them to the hall, had them sit in a place of honor among those who were invited. This is where you get your props. God makes sure you get your props. But in the place where you get your props, you're so stunned and Saul's like, what am I doing here? You are nowhere in the flesh to enjoy this. God says, you want to be great, Saul? I'll make you great. I got it for you. You understand what I'm saying? But it's going to come in the way I want it to come. When they had come down from the high place in the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house and they rose early. And it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And they were going to the outskirts of the city. Samuel said to Saul, Tell your servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. But you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of the Lord. And so we all know the end of the story. Saul, they say, was one of the first persons outside of the prophet's office that the anointing fell upon him. And he prophesied. And he was changed into another man because of the anointing. And so you see, not only is God calling a king into Israel, but he's calling a different type of office with a different type of anointing. He's teaching the people his ways and how he's going to govern and manage them. But I'm telling you, if we break rank and break routine and get discouraged and get defeated and get fatigued, we'll never step into the greatness that God has for us. Chase your donkeys. Don't, be, don't get discouraged doing the thing that God has called you to do. 
If you find yourself getting bored, you talk to God about your boredom. And he'll tell you to do it bored anyway, because I like people who do stuff when they're bored. At least they don't quit. You got me? But shape up your attitude so that you don't carry that, that boredom doesn't grow. You got me? And start to spread on to other people so that it slows them down and tires them down. Learn how to be a team player. When people are, are active and, and working, get involved with them. Be, shoulder your level of the responsibility. Try to do more than what you've been doing. You got me? So that when, when God sees that and he can judge you faithful, then you get the elevation. You can't be elevated in a place of rebelling against, in a place of wanting to quit, in a place of wanting to give up. He doesn't bless quitters. He doesn't promote quitters. But he does promote and he blesses the faithful. If you'll be faithful doing these routine things, God will come for you in your season. Amen? Praise God. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity. Amen. To be encouraged by you today. spoken for every person here every time. So we thank you for that opportunity, Lord, to bless, to pray, to lift up, and to magnify the name of Jesus, that he can be uh, glorified in everything that we do. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come up and I'll pray for you. Brother Jesse, are you going to come up to the altar for me to pray for you this time? Or I got a note that said you need prayer. I said, well, if he's here, that'd be even better, huh? So uh, we'll do that. And uh, we do, <laughs> oh, this is an old one? Like I said, we'll put this on the uh, prayer.